Hey friends, it's Jay. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of The Things I Should Have Said. So look, I'm a local pastor. I just finished giving a talk at Friends Church in Orange on the spiritual reality that Jesus has demolished every wall that divides us and has put to rest any hostility that is between us because he is our peace. And his sacrifice is for all of us, and so it unites all of us. As you can imagine, that's a big concept. And that is a concept that is true in the spiritual realms, but might not be true in the lives that we live right now. There's a lot of complexity in there. So you can imagine for me, uh, this was a big message. And my week was insane. And so I didn't get to prep as long as I normally do for a message like this. And there were so many landmines that I could have stepped on. This is the type of message that I should have doubled my prep time on. But uh, life happens and you're not always able to do what you want to do. And so you can imagine there's a bunch of stuff left unsaid and a bunch of stuff I wish I didn't say. And this is a podcast for all that kind of stuff. It's post-church, post-sermon, post-pastor, post-script. So before I get into all of the things that I should have said, uh, let me tell you about a story that came to my mind this week as I was preparing for this message. I remember, I don't know, a decade ago, I had dinner with a real estate agent who used to be a pastor. And so I was asking him, Uh, what it was like when he was a pastor. And he pastored uh, during the time that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was also a Baptist preacher. And he was uh, in the same area as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And when uh, Martin Luther King Jr. started to hold rallies, um, this real estate agent who was a white man decided to go and support him. And when his elder board found out that he went to King's rally, he got fired. They just, no no second chance, no explanation, they just fired him right on the spot because he went in solidarity of the civil rights movement. So from there, he took up a pastor in another church. So they fired him there. He just moved on to another church, started pastoring there. And the, uh, the heart was the same. He saw people that weren't being treated fairly, that were being oppressed, and he knew it wasn't right, and he was standing in solidarity as uh, people were trying to get the rights that they deserved. And so he looked at the neighboring church right next to his church, and it was an African-American church, and he began a friendship with that pastor there, and he said, hey, you know what? We should do a pulpit switch. I should come preach at your church, you should preach at my church. I think that would be that'd be good for our congregations. And so he then took that idea to his elders and they said, no, absolutely not. He talked them into it. He persuaded them to allow the African-American preacher to come preach in his church. But the elders said, the only way we're going to do it is if he gives us the manuscript of his message so we can approve it. And my friend said, absolutely not. That's not how the spirit of God works. Uh, We need to allow this man to uh, speak from his heart and what the Lord lays upon his heart. And so somehow he persuaded the elders to allow that to happen. And then his friend, the African-American preacher, came in and preached a sermon and he brought the fire and my friend got fired. So he said something, I don't know exactly what it was, but it really ticked off the elder board. And so my friend got fired from the second uh, pastorate job that he had, and he became a real estate agent. Very successful. I was having dinner with him in his very large home, eating really good food. 
And I was amazed at what he had seen and the things that he had gone through. And he just looked at me, me being this young pastor, and just almost with pity in his eyes of, boy, you are going to get eaten alive. But there was hope even in that, and the, the friendship still survives today. And as I was preparing this week for the message, that was all about how Jesus is our peace, that he's already destroyed the dividing wall that divides us, and that any hostility that exists in our physical world, it's not there in our spiritual reality. I just kept thinking about my friend and what he saw and the courage that he had. And I prayed that the Lord would give us courage as well, because a Ephesians chapter 2, as we looked at today, is a powerful, powerful portion of scripture that really can change not just lives, not just hearts, but can really change society. And so hopefully I did my friend proud, but we really do need courage to take a look at things that are so transformational. So all week I've been thinking about why we can't get past our differences. And the point I tried to make is that without Jesus, we tend to push people out, but because Jesus brought people in, he's going to empower us to do the same. So here's how I put it. Leave it to people who practice dead religion, who are spiritually dead. Leave it to them to push people away, but leave it to Jesus who brings us back to life, to be, even, to be able to even take those that are most dead in their religion, breathe life to them, bring them to life, and use those very people to start pulling people in. Jesus has the power to do that. You know what I should have said was, despite how hard we fight it, Jesus's will and purposes will prevail. Even if we resist his will, he will eventually make one new humanity united by his grace. I believe that with everything in me. And I don't know as I stood in front of my congregation if I was quite that strong. Yes, I talked about how Peter and Paul, both as they led the early church, they fought against it. There was hostility and division between the Jews and the Gentiles, and it was against their gut to uh, pull the Gentiles in. But the Holy Spirit did his work in their lives, helped them to see a different vision so that the world could see a different image of Jesus, and they were willing to change. And then they had to work really hard as they established the first century church, the brand new church. They had to work really hard to get rid of old religious dogma that tended to push people out and instead have new ways of doing religion that pulled people in. So yes, Paul and Peter both fought Jesus's will to make one new humanity, but then they both surrendered and then they fought for change. And God continues to use his Holy Spirit to lead Christian leaders to do the same thing. I absolutely believe that. And yes, we have come a long way, but I didn't really get deep into how hard the church fights back against those initial changes. So I used a couple figures from history to make the point of how uh, God's Holy Spirit is leading Christian leaders to uh, create this change in the world. And so I talked about uh, William Wilberforce. He was uh, in the British Parliament, fought to abolish slavery in Britain, was successful. And I didn't talk much about how hated he was, specifically by Christians. And I didn't talk much about how they were able to use the Bible. These Christians uh, in 1789 were able to use the Bible as a proof to why slavery should exist. Their thinking was basically, yes, as Christians, we should treat our slaves well, but obviously if the Bible 
tells us to treat our slaves well, then God's okay with us having slaves. It's the natural order of things. Uh, but Wilberforce knew deeper down that we're all one, that there's neither slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, as Paul puts it. And that drove him uh, past. But man, he got a lot of resistance uh, from those that... Uh, could have lost a lot of money, whether they're religious or not, lost a lot of power, whether they're religious or not, but also just people that love the word of God and thought that abolishing slavery is an offense to God's word. And that, that blows my mind looking back on it. But then as we get even closer, it, it just continues to happen. So I talked about Wilberforce, then passed the baton to Levi Coffin, who uh, established uh, the Underground Railroad here in America. Well, he didn't establish it, but he's coined as the president of the American Underground Railroad. And he helped a lot of slaves escape. And he worked with Daniel Anthony, whose daughter was Susan B. Anthony. Now, they all came from the Quaker tradition. And Susan B. Anthony, she looked at what her dad was doing for slaves. She saw slaves get the right to vote. And then she thought, well, shouldn't women have the right to vote as well? And so together with Elizabeth Stanton, they co-founded the Women's Suffrage Alliance and started to fight for women's rights and the right to vote specifically. And they received a lot of pushback. They were jailed, they were fined, people hated them. But the church was so opposed to it. The Christian church fought against it so much that Susan B. Anthony, who was a Christian, her partner, Elizabeth Stanton, was not religious. Uh, Susan said, no, 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 the church is going to, they're going to come around. They're going to help us because this is at the very nature of who God is. There is neither male nor female. We're all one in Jesus. They'll, they'll get it. And Elizabeth Stanton was arguing that they needed to abandon the Christians, that they were only going to fight against them. So the co-founders were divided on this, but Susan B. Anthony was dedicated to figuring out a way to allow religious and secular people alike to join in on the fight for women to get the right to vote and participate in the Women's Suffrage Alliance. And she died in 1906, just 14 years before the women got the right to vote. And as I said that, from stage, I got teary-eyed, and I wasn't expecting it. And for some reason, it didn't happen to me in the first service, but it happened to me in the second service. And I, and I actually, I think I know why. Because I looked at a woman in the audience, and she's got a young daughter, and I have a young daughter, and we've had that conversation about how we hope that the church that we raise our daughters in does not slow down uh, them being treated as absolute equals. And I think that the church has a long way to go here. And I brought it up just, I just barely touched on it because I didn't want to politicize this message. Uh, but I do believe that this is an area that we as a church, universal right now, need to continue to take steps forward on how we uh, look at gender, how we incorporate the gifts that are given both to men and women um, in leadership and in the church. And so I just, I lost it because I think about my daughter and I think about who she is. She's only four, so I'm guessing in a lot of this, right? But I, I see such leadership gifts in her. And then I wasn't raised in a Christian home. And so uh, the idea of like 
uh, a pastor's kid becoming a pastor that that blows my mind because I've heard a lot of horror stories about like PK kids they just like rebel and go all crazy but then I've got a guy on my staff and his dad's a pastor and his brother's a pastor and he's a pastor and when I talk to him about his upbringing he's like it was awesome it was so good to be raised in the church of course not everything's perfect but enough so that he followed in his dad's footsteps and I thought what if my daughter is called and equipped by the Holy Spirit to be a pastor. And there are so many congregations that wouldn't allow that to happen. And that blows my mind. And, and I get it. I can, I can take you to passages that would support their stance in the Bible, much like uh, people went against the abolitionists with passages from the Bible that supported slavery. But I think they're pretty easy to hermeneutically uh, disable those from having the power to stop women from exercising the spiritual gifts that the spirit has given to them. All of that's going on in my head. And then I see another woman who's got a daughter, a young daughter, and my heart just connected to it. And I just, I lost it. Well, I didn't lose it. I didn't like break down sobbing, but I did have to take a breath and explain, um, you know, that as a, as a father of a daughter, I just want to see us move forward in that area. Um, but I didn't, it wasn't the time or place to go into it. And that's why we do this podcast here, because if not, I end up getting in my car and I drive home thinking about what I should have said. And so thank you for listening to that part. Um, that helps my soul as well. And, and I think then, uh, we just need to be aware that as the Holy Spirit continues to lead us and develop us as a church to reflect the image of God more correctly, more crisply, we need to realize that our first inclination is to fight against it, to fight against that change. And I'm sure you're thinking, hey, well, social justice waters down the gospel, and if we support a certain group, then it seems like we are also uh, supporting their ethic and condoning their, their ethic overall. And I get that. And to be honest, I'm still wrestling with exactly how the Spirit is leading in this complex landscape. If you've wrestled with this before, maybe you've come to some kind of conclusion, found some insight, hey, just, just send that my way. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. I'd love to hear what more you think needs to be said on how the Spirit is leading us to tear down more walls, build more bridges, bring peace where there's hostility right now. I'd love to know where you see it right now in this very current moment. So being a pastor in America right now, there are so many political hot buttons. We are divided in so many ways in our politics. And so it's hard to differentiate uh, our politics from our faith. In specifically, I have noticed that one word carries such negative connotation that I didn't realize that it carried until I used it. I used the word feminist with my friend who's an evangelical Christian, and I used it as a positive term. And he looked at me like I was crazy. Uh, he looked at me with these eyes that, that basically said like, bro, you just said a bad word. And so I went home to my wife, who is a professor, and she teaches literature, uh, was trained up at Claremont Graduate University, uh, where there's a lot of gender discussions happening right now. And uh, I asked her, hey, what kind of connotation does the word feminist carry at the university you trained at, at the university that you teach at, versus the church that you attend? 
And uh, just recently, another professor at an evangelical Christian school invited her in to talk about feminism because he noticed with young girls specifically, they had an aversion to the word feminist. And in in my economy, in my understanding of that term, it seems to line up very well with God's heart that we should be pro-woman, like we should be pro-man and pro-humanity, pro-one new humanity. And there's no difference anymore. There's no slave or free, male nor female. And so for me, it, it doesn't hold that negative connotation. And so this professor invited my wife in to talk to his class about the different waves of feminism and uh, the different complexities of feminism and whether feminism is compatible with Christianity and to what extent. So I'm blessed to be married to an articulate, intelligent woman who'd be able to talk about these complexities a lot better than I can. And so I'm gonna invite now my beautiful wife, Natalie Hewitt, to talk to you all about feminism and Christianity and how God is trying to move us forward to knock down some more dividing walls. All right. Well, I'm now joined by my lovely wife, both beautiful and brilliant. And she is a professor, as I mentioned before, uh, who has done a lot of work with equality, feminism. And so, uh, Nat, I just, I wanted to ask you point blank as a Christian, a follower of Jesus and as an academic, uh, who focuses on equality, do you feel like feminism and Christianity are at odds together or compatible with one another? I believe that Christianity and feminism are completely capable of working in tandem. So they are not at odds. Um, I, I don't think that the hostility that I've, that I've witnessed um, really needs to be there. I think that we just need to do a better job of, of understanding the ways in which there are feminist ideals already present in Jesus's teaching um, and in the biblical narrative as a whole. Um, so that I think that takes a little bit of perhaps re-education or close reading analysis and explication of the text, but I definitely believe that the Christian message, the Christian that Christian ideals are um, definitely supportive and in many ways matching um, feminist ideals. So for you, it seems like a, a no-brainer. And yet in your classroom, you're finding a heavy resistance. And so how do you explain the resistance that you're seeing in your students today? Yeah, that's a really great point. And I, I want to also just acknowledge that the resistance that I'm noticing has been fairly recent. So I've been teaching at the college level for um, over 15 years and um, in those first, I would say in the first 10 years, really, I did not encounter as much opposition from students. And what I've, um, what I've witnessed recently is I've, I've, I've seen this little disclaimer that some of my students, especially my female students, have, have made. They say, I don't consider myself feminist, or I don't think of myself as a feminist, but... And what I'm, what I'm able to discern from that is, um, especially in those statements and then in the sentences that follow, is that a lot of my female students, and some male students too, but a lot of my female students um, are acting on a knowledge um, about feminism instead of reading the works of feminist thinkers. So they're, they're more exposed to the media's representation of a feminist 
uh, as opposed to learning and reading and listening to feminist ideals and feminist thinkers. And that about feminists piece is um, typically stereotypes and assumptions that are loaded with um, hostility and criticism. And so there's this stereotypical view that a feminist is not feminine, that a feminist hates men, that a feminist um, is, you know, opposed to, is really opposed to equality, which is ironic. Um, so for me, the, the definition of feminism is one who advocates for equal rights for men and women, but obviously, I shouldn't say obviously, but history has shown us that for a long time, uh, women's rights have been limited legally, socially, and culturally. So that's why this word, you know, feminist has come about because it's seeking to establish equality for, for the sexes and exposing the places where women's rights have been limited. Gotcha. So... Uh, we are parents to a lovely daughter who uh, is strong, strong-willed, smart, uh, compassionate, empathetic. And as at four years old, you and I have great dreams for our daughter. Uh, but for the first time, I've considered, what if she decides to be a pastor? What if she decides to follow in my footsteps and not yours. So since the late 1800s, early 1900s, a lot of work has been done for equality with women, but there's still a lot of work to be done. A lot of that work has come uh, at the leadership of Christians, uh, and yet there's still a lot of work to be done in the Christian church. So I want to know from your perspective, what's a couple things that you would like to see change in the church in the next decade or so? What I would like to see change... Primarily, I, I would say, you know, within the evangelical Christian church, to be as specific as possible, is um, more, more openness and more willingness to understand feminism as opposed to, again, you know, falling prey to just, you know, believing stereotypes or assumptions. So I'd like to see better dialogue, better discourse, better openness, less hostility um, to the idea uh, and the ideas of feminist thinking, which, you know, again, is looking f- to expose the ways in which women's rights have been limited socially, culturally, legally. Uh, sometimes I hear um, people say, you know, there, there is no such thing as inequality between the sexes anymore. We've, we've overcome that. And I, I just think that, that that's close-minded and um, and deluded, to be perfectly honest. Um, and so, the, you know, the difficulty in the church is is that we still we still have some of those assumptions happening, some of those beliefs about you know assigning traits to men and women um, qualities based on their gender or their biological sex. And I I think that that that's dangerous. And so I'd like to see that change. I'd like to see women in leadership. I'd like to see a lot more women in leadership. Uh, I'd like to see women elders, women pastors. Um, I, I'd like to see that false thinking um, about, you know, that, that men are strong and women are not, or men have, you know, leadership, innate leadership qualities that women do not. Um, I, I'd like to see a lot of that disappear 
and, um, and, you know, just, a, I think, a better understanding, um, an attempt to have better understanding about individuals and who they are, um, regardless of their biological sex. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting to me, serving in a friend's church, mm-hmm. being a part of a friend's church, uh, theologically, we believe that the spiritual gifts are distributed equally among uh, yeah. male and female. Yeah. And so we are good with women pastors and women elders and having yeah. women at the leadership table making decisions. And yet, in my day-to-day experience, after being in this denomination for over 15 years, there's not very many women pastors yeah. or women elders. And I feel like sometimes we forget to invite uh, the female voice into our decision-making process. And I believe that we miss out on some of those, uh, those things. And so I'm with you. I'd like to see that, especially thinking about our daughter who is very empathetic, is very intelligent, would be a gift to the church. If she had a call to ministry, a call to be a pastor and decided to follow that, um, I would be excited for her to, to take up that calling. And at the same time, a little afraid for her to come into a church where she would have a bit of an uphill battle. And so I'm with you. I'd like to see that change as well. Can I, I think what you're afraid of, um, and I think rightfully so, is that there's still a significant cultural stigma. These, these beliefs that, that we have, whether we recognize them or not, that, um, that because someone is a woman or not a man, you know, other people might be uncomfortable accepting that person as a leader. I just I want to share, you know, a point in my life when I, when I was first, I think, exposed to that kind of thinking, and I saw how easy it was to adopt it without questioning it. Um, I was, you know, I was a fairly new believer. I think I was 14, 15 years old, and a woman had been mentoring me. She was, to be perfectly honest, even though she wasn't officially my pastor or youth pastor, she emulated that kind of pastoral care and leadership in my life more than anyone else. And, um, and one day somehow, I don't remember why, but we were talking about why there are no female pastors in our community. And there were none at that point. And, um, and she said, and I had, I still have so much respect for her, but she said, uh, I wouldn't want a woman to be my pastor. And she didn't explain any more than that. That was that was her only answer um, for you know why women are not pastors. And I accepted it right away because she had so much influence in my life. And I thought, well, if she thinks that way, then I should think that way too. And um, and you know, it's taken me years really to reflect on that and consider more and more how how damaging that kind of thinking is um, just because of, well, I wouldn't be comfortable with that. I, I you know, I, I don't know what it was that, that, but that was her statement. I wouldn't want that. And um, I, th- I think that's part of the cultural stigma that we still have. We still have a long way um, to overcome. Yeah. And I can't imagine, I mean, I, I know who you're talking about and she is a strong, intelligent woman who, uh, influenced you for the good in so many ways. And if that's what you were exposed to, I can just imagine so many other young Christian women were exposed to the same kind of discipleship. 
and the same kind of idea. And so I could see then why kind of going full circle, you have female students in your classroom that are resistant to that Mm -hmm. without Mm -hmm. even quite knowing why. Yep. Um, and so I hope you're, you're able, and I know you are able to speak into their, their lives and help them expand their thinking and look at things from different angles. Mm -hmm. You're, you're great at that. And I hope that out of your ministry in the classroom, we will see new thought leaders going out of the church into the world and carrying these ideas into the world. And so we know that there are still big gaps of inequality between men and and women in the world. Mm -hmm. How would you like to see our Christian voice lead the way at closing that gap and bringing true equality as Jesus would have it be? I'd like to see the church be less afraid of perhaps what some would call radical notions you know, of feminism. I, I see a lot of fear connected to that um, for, from Christians, you know, fear that if we, if we listen to that scholarship or the, that research or those ideas connected to, you know, like you know, whether it's a political movement, whatever it may be, I, see, I hear and I sense some fear that, that that's incompatible with um with you know christian belief or christian thinking and i'd like to see that eradicated that fear and again the fear eradicated and more openness and willingness to see the ways in which the again the biblical narrative already endorses those notions of equality between men and women because i think it's all there so historically religion has had a tough time with not being afraid we often fall back on fear we don't have discussions that we need to have because we're afraid. And so you are absolutely correct. We, we don't need to fear this conversation. We need to start having this conversation. And then let's imagine that we have this conversation. We have it well. Uh, how can we move forward in the world? What type of conversation can we bring to the world that will change the world in front of us? I think that we need to just as a whole in our society, do a better job of assuming and assigning traits, character traits to people based on their biological sex. So assuming that men are good leaders because they are strong, because they have a, a, you know, the physical propensity to, um, you know, to do things physically better than women can. That's just one very simplified example um, that 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 we can see in the stories that we tell and the um, you know the, the ways that we look at individuals uh, and the ways that like traditional roles get assigned and perpetuated and I really do think that that's part of the um, the issue for the church is that tradition has established for so long that men play those leadership roles and women lead you know from domestic spheres as opposed to public spheres. That is, there. there's good explanation for culturally, socially, and historically why that has gone on. We need to be much more aware um, and open to the fact that that has changed and is changing and needs to change, I would say fairly radically within the church. Um, but that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Change can be incredibly uncomfortable because of the assumptions that we, we make. Um, and so I, I think that the conversations can be better um, achieved um, with 
more open discourse, bringing in um, people who, who, like I said, have read and been exposed to these thinkers' ideas um, as opposed to just reading about, you know, people. Um, so reading actual ideas and thinkers and, and especially, like, I mean, there are plenty of feminist theologians, male and female, that um, help us to see the ways in which the Bible already supports feminist notions. Um, so more exposure to that kind of thinking uh, can really help us move forward. And then we can lead the way in the world and in society, in our classrooms, in other public spheres, um, by the way that we live and the, by the way that we talk to other people and about other people and the way we, we act out our own kind of subjectivity, regardless of gender or biological sex. Change can be very difficult, mm. but it can be powerful in the fact that uh, religion is anchored in tradition. Yeah. Right? We uh, live out of an ancient task, text. Mm. We live out of an ancient text, and we uh, fall back on a tradition that has kept us through the millennial, millennia, millennials. <laughs> Millennia. <laughs> Millennia. Mm -hmm. Anyway. The ages. The ages. Centuries. Religion is based on tradition. And yet, if we're willing to say this is worth changing over, I think it, it could have the power to get the attention of the rest of the world to say, if an organization that typically can't change because of tradition is able to change in this way, maybe we need to open our eyes and do things differently as well. I hope that's going to be the case for our church, Friends Church in Orange, for all of our churches in the Friends denomination, and then throughout the evangelical uh, church, so that within the next decade, we will really have some, some thought leaders coming out of the church, leading the way in the world. And I am so impressed by you and the way that you help nurture that in other people. And so I love you. Thank you for taking the time to come and speak into a mic on this podcast and help me say the things that I couldn't say. Uh, so thank you. You're welcome. I love you too. I admire my wife for so many reasons. She's so articulate, so intelligent, so beautiful, has such a gorgeous heart. And she also is courageous. And I love that about her. And as I think about my friend who is a pastor that got fired multiple times, ended up in real estate, when I think about the ideas and thoughts that my wife is putting forward, I think we all need to learn from them and be a little more courageous. When we feel like the Holy Spirit is leading us to knock down dividing walls and to bring peace to hostility, I think we need to be wise enough to know that not everyone's going to like that. And we're going to get pushback even from the people in our faith community. But if we really feel like God is taking us there, we need to follow because he is trying to make the spiritual reality that the dividing wall has already been destroyed, that Jesus is our peace, that we are one new humanity united by the blood of Jesus. If we're going to see that spiritual reality become part of our physical existence, we need the courage to move forward. And so this week, I want to ask you, when you come in contact with people that are different than you, would you do three things? Would you listen to them? Would you really actively listen, ask good questions and listen to them? 
be curious and listen to them. And then two, would you invoke some empathy on their behalf? Would you feel what they feel from the things that they are saying to you? And then lastly, will you find a way to invite them into some kind of community, whether you invite them to church or invite them to hang out or whatever, but would you find somebody that for whatever reason you've been more comfortable keeping at a distance and just one time bring them closer and see what it does to your heart and see what it does to the eyes of your spirit. If it opens up and starts to see things differently, see if you start to sense yourself seeing people more like Jesus sees people. Because at the end of the day, we all wanna be more spiritually alive. We all wanna be more connected to the spiritual reality of existence and to be able to see things where they really are through the eyes of Jesus. And so if, you're, if you'd be willing to uh, truly listen, evoke some empathy, and invite someone into community this week. I think God's going to bless you and wake up your spirit. If you'd like this episode, please help me out by leaving a review on iTunes and subscribing to this podcast and tune in every other week. Also, check out my YouTube channel for weekly inspiration to become fully alive. Stay in touch and follow me on Instagram or come visit me in person at my church. And if you'd like to hear the sermon we deconstructed today, go to friends.church. Well, there it is, the things I should have said. I'm going to need to do this again next week. Count on it.